Hello, dear listener, and welcome to the latest episode of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey, and it is almost always about whiskey. Almost Sometimes always. we take a wee side street. Mm-hmm. I'm your host, Jason Johnston Yellen, he of many nicknames, the latest being Jason Three Names. And it's always my pleasure to say hello to Joshua Hatton, also he of developing nicknames. What's the current one, Joshua? Well, my Instagram handle still, it remains Whiskey Cherub because I really like that. I almost changed it to the Whiskey Whippet. But, it, <laughs> but, but, but you know, that wasn't so pleasing on the eyes. And then I said, you know what? Let me try the Whiskey Racing Snake. And, and then I got a call and I never went back to it. So I remain Whiskey Cherub. But, but but let me tell you. I this. didn't like the way that started, but I'm I'm glad it ended on racing snakes. So that was uh, <laughs> that could have gone to a much worse place. But but let me tell you this. I'm going to tell our listeners this. I am open to other nicknames. So if anybody has a nickname they want to to give me, be nice. Be nice. <laughs> Questions at one nation under and that's whiskey without an e. So he's Joshua Hatton. I'm Jason Johnston Yellen. <laughs> Each episode, one of us brings a often whiskey-themed news story to the attention of the other. We read it through the first half of the episode, we riff on it through the second half of the episode, and we attempt to get out of here in a tight 30 to 35 minutes. Recently, we've been doing very, very well with that. We have been. Yeah, I, I hope we'll do well with this one. I've brought a story. Uh, am I ready to start talking about the story? I was about to set it up, but you continue to, to run with this. So I, I brought a story to our attention. This is one that's made a bit of news. And, and, you know, it's one of these stories that if you're into whiskey and your family members know you're into whiskey, invariably they've heard this story and they've said to you, I know you're into whiskey. <laughs> Let's, what do you think about this, right? And it's one of these stories that from an outsider's perspective, you say, oh, that's cool. That, that's interesting. That could be helpful. But uh, I, I kind of view this as, as a very negative story. So I'm going to read it to you. And, and, then, and then in the second half, because like you said, we bring this article in and then we riff on it in the second half. I'll read this aloud, and then I have opinions. I know you have opinions. And uh, anyway, so this one is not the original story. This is from the thrill list that took a story from food and wine and sort of built their story around it. And the headline reads, quote, This guy gets to retire early because he bought whiskey casks in 1994. And and then the subheader says, Roger... The headline opens with this guy. This, this guy. <laughs> Who's got two thumbs and doesn't give a fuck. This guy. <laughs> so the subheader reads, Roger Parfit is making a 4,700% profit on his whiskey purchases. And, and the article is penned by one Caitlin Hitt. Just before you go on, I think it's Parfait. <laughs> <laughs> P-A-R-F-I-T-T Yeah, I was making a parfait joke It's yeah. okay, continue well, it, was, it was par for the course um, <laughs> Parfait so, for the course <laughs> Oh, that was, that was parfait, perfect 
Investing can be complicated, confusing, and intimidating for those of us that aren't good with numbers or interested in watching the stock market day in and day out. But what's, but what's interesting to me is investing is hard if you don't like just putting money in your mailbox and having it turn into more money, right? <laughs> yeah, like if you need to follow investing protocols to make money with your investments, investing is hard. Like, <laughs> Should I just look at a wad of money in my hand and say, gosh, I wish that would turn into more. Isn't it pretty to think so? That's what we say in this house. Isn't it pretty to think so? Carry on. So Caitlin continues. There are other ways to invest your money through, like buying property or whiskey barrels, apparently. Just ask Roger Parfit, Parfait, Perfect, Par for the Course, a British man who's retiring early thanks to some whiskey barrels he bought in the 90s. And she continues... Parfit. I feel the rage building, Joshua. I'm, I'm mostly feeling rage because we're about to talk about Scotch whiskey, and and the author continues to spell whiskey with an e, which is not the correct way to spell whiskey when you're talking about Scotch whiskey, basically whiskey around the world, other than Irish whiskey and some American whiskeys. But that is for another day, Jason. I'm going to continue. Parfit bought a cask of Macallan single malt Scotch whiskey in 1994 for 3,200 pounds or the equivalent of $4,359. He then bought a second cask, this time of Tobermory, for 1,500 pounds or the equivalent of $2,043. All this according to the Telegraph. If I can interject for just a second, what's intrigued me through through the lifespan, the short lifespan of this story, is it's never been made clear where he purchased them. Does Thrillist fill in a gap on this? Well, you you haven't let me get... To, I'm I, setting I, it up. I, I I'm setting it up. I'm setting it up. But I would, I would say he likely bought them from the distilleries. I, you know, th- these are just fans, consumers, and McAllen did have a cask purchase program. They currently have a cask purchase program now, but it's only for, um, you know, upper tier clients, if you will. Uh, And you are put on a waiting list because they only sell a few per year. That's a thing. Um, So this Caitlin continues. While he bought the booze hoping it would appreciate in value over time, he figured that if it didn't, he'd just get to drink them. Solid strategy. And and I agree, that that is a solid strategy. It is. I bought it on a hunch at the time, he told the British newspaper. I remember thinking, if it didn't appreciate in value, the worst that can happen is that you would have to get it out of the warehouse, bottle it, and drink it. It always had that fallback for me. You could drown your sorrows if it didn't work out financially. Which, hashtag drink responsibly, uh, Mr. Parfait. It continues. The barrels you could have did... have it with a vanilla-flavored dessert. Yeah, go on. <laughs> the barrels did, however, increase in value. So much that Parfait is preparing for early retirement. 
Parfit recently sold both casks for £225,000, or the equivalent of $313,000. At $313,000 and $200,000, really. That is a 4,700% return in his investment, according to Food and Wine. You don't need to be a math whiz to know that that is a good deal. And that's true. That is a very good deal. Even better, Food and Wine reports that according to Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, which we lovingly call the, the HMRC, we which do. is the, the UK tax authority, the casks are a, quote, wasting asset because over time, water and alcohol evaporate. Because of this designation, Parfit doesn't even have to pay taxes on the profits from the sales of his two casks. Also true. Thanks to his smart investment, Parfit is hanging up his hat as a bank manager at only 59 years old. Naturally, he's got big plans for his three-year early retirement. Parfit will be doing a few responsible things with his money, like paying off his mortgage, but he'll also have a little fun. He and his family are currently planning to take a trip to Florida together. He's far from done. <laughs> He's far from done investing too. Parfit plans to get back into the booze game, buying a cask of whiskey for each of his two. See, I'm looking at your face now, and this is this is where it's happening, Jason. He's gonna buy a <laughs> cask of whiskey each for his two kids in the hopes that they'll have as much luck as he did. He told Luxurious Magazine, and then um, Caitlin hit. Uh, gave a, a tip of the hat to food and wine, and and that's where it ends. That's the story, Jason. It ends much later than I wish it had ended, which is another <laughs> way of saying I wish it had ended much sooner. Because <laughs> I heard a lot of words that I didn't feel the need to hear. Yeah. I know we're going to riff on it in the second half, but... It's right. so striking to me that this this isn't just... Remember Joe the Plumber from here in the United States a, yeah. a few election cycles ago? Oh, I remember right? that. The, right, this isn't just Joe the Plumber lucking into a lottery ticket that allows him to retire from plumbing in his 30s, right? This is a 59-year-old bank manager who, by the sounds of the article here, was planning to retire at 62 Right, that yeah. that's a dude that is so buttoned up for retirement that dude taking you know, this guy taking early retirement. It's mm -hmm. not quite like other folk taking early retirement, and yeah. and I do feel and and why I'm I'm glad we include it in this episode. It reminds me of the last episode where we covered that piece from the BBC about Forsyths making distilling equipment for a company in yeah. Inner Mongolia, yeah. Yeah. right? There's there's so much to lead the witness that he's not... Is he taking early retirement? Yes, he is. Is it 20 years early? No. It's a few years. He's going to pay a mortgage and take a trip to Florida. Yeah. But if somebody wants to get excited about a 4,700% ROI, return mm -hmm. on investment, boy, does this article get them licking their chops. It, it does, but this article and the other ones like it come from a place outside the industry 
so it's not it's not telling a full story. It's 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 a wonderful feel good story, and I'm and I'm incredibly happy for this guy. But there's so much more about this uh, that that you and I need to discuss in the second half. So let's take a quick pause here, gather our breath, gather our thoughts, and we'll be right back. story it immediately had me thinking about comic book collecting and I'll, I'll use a, a wonderful example right Th- what are the biggest comic books you've got your supermans and your batmans and your wonder womans and spider-mans of the world and, and all this but when those comics first started coming out they weren't put out to be collectibles. They were put out for people to consume. To Every month, they'd get an add-on to the story, and the story would continue for their favorite superhero. And if you were lucky enough to maybe get a copy of, you know, Detective Comics number or whatever it was, 20-something when they introduced Batman, or one of the early action comics where they introduced... Superman, back in those days, you were just getting comic books. But you unwittingly, if you kept them in good condition, set yourself up for a really good investment. And that, you know, 10 cents, 15 cents, whatever the cost of that comic comic book back then, turns into $300,000, $500,000, a million dollars for that comic book, that's the best investment you could ever make. However, those comics came out in the 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever decade it is, a long time ago when no one thought that comic book collecting can turn into profit. But if you fast forward to the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, the comic book industry has gotten to a point where they are specifically creating comics that are meant to be collected, but then are printing them to such a level that they will never appreciate and value the way the old, the comics of yesteryear would. Because now you're like, ooh, I got to get that one with the foil cover. Ooh, I've got to get this one that had a different artist or it's showing a different picture or, or, or what have you. They're creating... They're, they're creating an environment that is pulling more money out of the consumer's pocket because that consumer thinks that that product will turn into money. But that product will never turn into the type of money that they expect because the comic books have been set up to, just, to do just that, to just be semi-collectible but pull a bit more money out your wallet. And so what I'm trying to say is this, this guy, Mr. Parfit, unwittingly bought a couple issues of Action Comics and Detective Comics and made out. He did a fantastic job. But if he's looking to buy some casks now for his kids, he's going to have a tough time because, A, distilleries have, have found that 
people are doing this. So they're jacking up their prices for their, for their own cast sales. And, and I'm not going to fault them for doing that. The distilleries that are doing that need the money to, to grow their business. This is just one revenue stream for them. Or the consumer will purchase from a cask investment company that's going to charge really high prices. Right? We, we've seen them where you'll get, you'll see a cask of, you know, just say, you know, let's, let's use the term, let's use Spring Bank, right? Maybe five years ago, you could have found a cask of Spring Bank from a broker for around 25, 30,000 pounds, which was a lot of money too much money, and now you can find them for 225,000 pounds. And my point is, if you buy that cask of Springbank for 225,000 pounds now, it's going to be 20-something years old. It's going to lose its alcohol. It's going to get below ABV, like whiskey ABV, really fast. And you're just buying high. If, if invest, investors will tell you never buy high. You buy low to let it appreciate. If you buy high, you're just going to lose your money. So I, I, I really am concerned for people looking into cask investment now because they're getting in at the same time that comic book collectors were getting in in the 90s and 2000s and 2010s. And the vast majority of those comic books did not appreciate in value and will not appreciate in value. And, and I think we're going to see some short-term gains through cask investment now. But we know what the Scotch whiskey industry look, looks like. It goes through peaks and troughs. And we're, we're going to hit a trough very soon. And also, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to keep on going on, but there's many facets to this. There's a difference between investing in bottles where you know that that particular bottle of whiskey and people can score it high or score it low. And if it's a score high, you know, if it's a bottle that's scored high, that can appreciate in value. But with a cask, its quality is going to go up and down depending on the years because, right, maturation is not linear. So right now it could taste amazing. 10 years from now, it could be terrible. 12 years from now, that whiskey could be sitting at 38% alcohol, and you can't even call it whiskey anymore. You can't even bottle it and sell it as a whiskey. You couldn't sell it as a cask of whiskey. No one would be interested in it. So the idea of investing in casks, I think, is very dangerous, first and foremost. And then secondarily, people getting into it now, uh, I, th I think they're setting themselves up for failure. I really, I really do. But I think you raised some key points there where we're talking about you're buying at the peak of the market. Yes. Right? But also look at that story where it says he did this back in the 90s. He mm -hmm. did this 30 years ago. Right? And I sometimes worry that those who would invest in casks right now are looking at the 12-month turnaround the 24-month turnaround. And I worry that that's the type of move that shorts the industry, right? Mm -hmm. This dude buying a couple of casks 30 years ago and simply sitting on them isn't creating a ripple across the entire industry. Groups of people 
seeing a 4,700% return on this 30-year investment, <laughs> now getting involved in practices, buying at the peak, not giving it long enough to mature, and then selling out, that's going to cause a very large ripple, potential wave, potential tsunami on a corner of the industry. That's what's deeply concerning for me. And if Mr. Parfit wants to go out and pick up, you know, a couple of cask owner program casks from a mm -hmm. couple of other distilleries around Scotland, and he's going to walk in and pay £7,000 or £9,000 or £10,000, if his kids are going to sit on those for 30 years, there's a chance this market has got this industry is going to go through a dip in that time before it then returns. And he was just buying at the time when our industry was coming out of the 80s, starting to regain its legs in the 90s, stronger in the early 2000s, then very strong from 2010 to 2000, 2020, and now strong in 2021, pandemic living, What's it going to look like for the kids with their casks in mm -hmm. 2030, 2040, 2050? Right? If they're willing to sit on them for a long time, they'll make some money. It's going to be worth more in the future than it is now, probably. Yeah. But let's think, too, uh, about the casks that he's purchased. So he got a Macallan, and that's obvious. My, my guess is... Of those 225,000 pounds that he made off those casks, my guess is the Macallan probably makes up the bulk of that. 220? Right? <laughs> Maybe 220. <laughs> but, but think about... <laughs> but think about Macallan in 1991. Macallan in 1991 wasn't the Macallan of 2021. I mean, heck, it wasn't even until the 80s where single malt brands were really coming into their own as a sustainable, continuous product. You know, of course, you had the, the Glenn Livets and the Glenn Fittics of the, of the world starting a bit earlier than that. But he's buying at a time where Johnny Walker, J&B, Chivas Regal, you know, all of these were still king. And I'd really bet on him not expecting his you know, 3,600-pound Macallan turning into a 200,000-pound Absolutely. I think that's a very good point. Very good point. And so if anyone wants to potentially repeat what Mr. Part Fit did, he would have to buy from a distillery that is selling their casks at a lower price that don't necessarily have a name, but he would need a crystal ball to know if Annandale becomes the Macallan of the 2050s, right? Or, or you know, Loch Lee down in the lowlands becomes, uh, you know, the Macallan of the 2050s. And so, you know, another thing about this story that is not, I don't find it upsetting, but I find it concerning is that they're taking this insanely extreme story oh, yeah. and saying, oh yeah, this can happen. Yeah, of course. I know someone who won the lottery. That can happen. <laughs> but it's one in, in how many million that win the lottery, right? But, but to bring you back to the, the comment you made just a moment ago, 
if he had bought two Tobermories, we wouldn't be reading about him in the newspaper. We would not. Right? We would not. If be. he'd bought one Macallan, we would still be reading about him in the newspaper. He <laughs> he got lucky on, on one and they had a second. Yeah. What's interesting to me, yeah. and, and you and I discussed this way back when this story first broke, you and I were quite surprised that for a 30-year-old Macallan, the price was, and I, I hate to say this out loud, and I certainly hate to say it on wax, given current mm-hmm. prices that we see yes. in this company, that was quite a low price for a 30-year-old Macallan, especially if it was combined with a 30-year-old Tobermory. Based on some of the prices that we've seen, yes, very surprising. Which makes me wonder if the distillery bought it back from them. Oh, that's interesting. How you like that for a little bit of speculation? Oh, right. And distilleries do this all the time. They do buy back casks. Look at, like, Glen Alkey, for for instance, when, when Billy Walker purchased that, they started bringing back their casks for their own brand. So it's not... That's interesting, Jason. Right. And then he hasn't had mm. to do anything with it. He hasn't had to move it out of a warehouse. It's just an exchange of paperwork. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And at that point, you would say, I'm being offered huh. this much. All right. Yeah. For essentially free money. Like, okay. Yeah, I'll do that. I just wondered about that part of the, you know, I'm curious, as I said, when you were huh. reading it, I'm curious who he bought them from. But if he did buy them yeah. from the distilleries, I wonder if the distilleries bought them back at those deflated prices. And then you're you're not doing any legwork at all. You're just getting your return on investment. Yeah, the, you know, the other thing that the article doesn't mention is, was it a bourbon barrel? Was it a sherry hogshead? Was it a sherry butt? You know, was it an octave? You know, we, we were offered Macallan octaves before. Um, so, you know, it'd be interesting to know how big or small that cask was, what type of the maturation was. It's so striking to me, as far as that story goes, for you and I, there are so many missing details that would help to flesh (laughs) out what did happen in here. One of the comments you and I had when we saw the pricing that he purchased them for, if he was buying Mm -hmm. New Make Spirit in the 90s at those prices, that was high. We were buying New Make Spirit in the 2010s that wasn't that high. That's 20 years after he was buying New Make Spirit from these two distilleries. So, yeah. So you know, I want to know who he bought them from. <laughs> I want to know what they were matured in, right? What, what type of casks was it that he actually purchased? Who did he uh-huh. sell to? Um, what's the goal for them? But... Whereas there are holes in the story for you and I, I want to know where they were warehoused. There are holes in the story for you and I. If you want to get on this current investing crazy train, the only number you need to see in this entire article is 4,700%. That's the only number you need to see <laughs> and you are yeah, gung-ho yeah. this is absolutely happening and yeah, and, and that, that that unfortunately for me shows these two sides of the industry those who would purchase casks mm-hmm. to bottle them to sell them on to consumers who would get them at a price that would allow them to open them and drink them that's 
our day-to-day remit. But on this other side, you've got people chasing casks to wring as much money as possible out of them, regardless of maturation, regardless of quality, regardless of, of ultimate drinking. That's the investment side that deeply, deeply concerns me. That's the part that I worry is going to topple this cask side of the business. Now, if we have to kind of take some hits for a few years while the market gets crazy and then they topple it and prices come back to normal, I will rejoice the day they come back to normal. But it's going to be an incredibly difficult period of time until that happens. Yes, and and I will feel I'll feel bad for all of the people who will be suffering through that toppling. That's my concern is that people are going to get into this with the idea that all right, I I, I put a hundred thousand pounds into this. I want to get five hundred thousand pounds back or you know what whatever the number is only to find out they bought when it was high and they're they're going they're going to lose out and and that is that is going to happen more and more history has shown it history repeats itself you you, you can simply look back at 200 years of history and just say oh here it comes here it comes but this is a new wrinkle that i think is just going to make that trough that much harder for a good number of people. Well, and as you were talking about comic books earlier, and I was thinking about you know baseball cards and what that looked like in the 90s, but I remember speaking to Bill McIntosh when he was starting up at Scotch Whiskey Auctions in Glasgow, and he was talking about Bell's decanters, and people oh, were yeah. putting their retirements into Bell's decanters, and they were the beanie babies of the whiskey industry, Right. People bought them en masse thinking this will be my retirement and they amounted Mm. to nothing, absolutely nothing. But there's always somebody willing to sell you a Beanie Baby. There's always somebody willing to sell you a Bell's Decanter. And right now people are lining up to sell you a cask of whiskey that's going to get you some ridiculous return on investment. It's easy for anybody to forget a bit of history when dollar signs are put in front of you, when you get articles like this that that aren't giving you the full story, they're just saying person A did B and the result was C, <laughs> right? No, this the story is much bigger than that. You've actually got 23 other letters in the alphabet that play a role in this story and you're just highlighting the bit that's bringing in the clicks and, and, is, is, and is a feel-good story. And I can't fault them for wanting to write a feel-good story because, man, does the news of the world suck. So that was nice to read that this guy made out and he can retire early and he can go to Disney with his family. And I'm really happy for him. But for every Mr. Parfit out there, there's going to be dozens, if, if, if not hundreds more, that are going to lose their shirts the more people invest in this. It, it just... You know what they say, Jason? It is what it is. It is what it will be. Mm, It's tough. It's tough to watch it happen in real time, though. Be very careful out there, dear listeners. Be very careful. And and as my parents always said to me, if something seems too good to be true, there's a chance it is. 
With that said, with that bit of sage advice, if you'd like to reach out to us, please use the well-established email address questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. And unlike this article from today, there is no E in whiskey, so do not stick one in there. Until next time, I remain Jason Johnston Yellen. He remains Joshua Hatton. I do. And you remain our dear listeners. Cheers to you all. Catch you later. Bye. Cheers, everybody. Bye.